Good. Well, we're looking at uh, the Bible together as we do each week as part of our um, gathering of worship and praise. And we're um, looking into a book in the New Testament of the Bible, that's the second half of the Bible, called 1 Thessalonians. And you'll find the page uh, we're looking at on page 1186, 1186, 1186 of uh, a Bible nearby. And I encourage you to to have a look at it and read, uh, we'll be reading it in a moment or two. Um, we're thinking, um, oh, of course, I'm, I'm looking, I was looking at the screen, looking at the wrong screen. Uh, yeah, we're thinking about being uh, real Christians, what real Christianity is about. And uh, today it's all about a word for a real struggle. Is it real? Have you uh, ever asked that question? Is it real? I don't mean in a fundamental sense like, you know, the philosophers do or, you know, like in the Matrix, you know, are we living in an illusion? I'm not thinking about that. I mean, you may think that, I don't know, uh, but I'm thinking more in terms of more practical things, more kind of everyday things, things about life and stuff and relationships. I mean, I, you know, maybe if you, some of us may have to cast our minds a long way back, like me, for example, uh, of uh, the early days when you got to know the person that you, you, you fell in love with. And I remember when Mary and I, my wife and I, were, well, she was, we were students uh, back in the 70s. And I remember one night um, we were just kind of standing on the beach at Penarth in South Wales, not a particularly marvellous beach. And it was beautiful. Oh, sorry. No, no offence. <laughs> Oh, it's a lovely beach, Penarth. Sorry. Uh, that's where we studied in Cardiff. And uh, we were standing on the beach. It was a beautiful night. It was moonlit. And this, uh, we're looking out on the water. And the moon was up there in the, behind the clouds. And I said something romantic like, do you think this is going to last? Or, you know, I wonder <laughs> where we'll be in a year's time or something like that. I asked Mary. She said, it's okay. You can share it because she's in the crash. So that's okay. Um, anyway, I... Maybe you've had that kind of, is, is this real? Is this the real thing? Is this going to be lasting? Well, that was about 43 years ago. So for us, the, the, the answer, well, it's a, it's a question to keep asking, to keep things fresh, of course. So maybe you thought like that, or maybe you've, you've been kind of undertaking a new task or a new job or something artistic or something that you're, you're, you're doing. You're saying, is, is this really for me? Is this, is this real? Is this kind of happening? Is this really true? Is it real? Is my Christian experience, is that real? This stuff about Jesus in my life, is it real? Is, is it just an illusion? And that question, is it real, about our Christian faith was probably in the Apostle Paul, the man who sometimes is known as St. Paul, who wrote 1 Thessalonians, because that question would have been in his mind about them, about their Christian experience. Because he'd only been able to spend a short time with them. Uh, we read in the book of Acts, we'll be popping into that in a moment or two, but we read he, was, he started off and he came into this city, Thessalonica, with, a, with some others in a team and, and they went to the Jewish synagogue and for three Sabbaths they talked about Jesus, they explained how Jesus was the one God had promised and he'd uh, been raised from the dead and then there was a bit of a riot. Um, the synagogue guys, uh, as, as some uh, people began to be interested, some of the Jews and some of the interested Gentiles, 
Gentiles who were part of that community. So after about three weeks, the, the Jews got a bit jealous. The, the other Jews who weren't interested were hostile and kind of started a bit of a riot. And, and they got thrown out of that synagogue. And they carried on for a few more weeks. Uh, and then it got even worse and so bad, in fact, that the, Paul, after a few more weeks, and his companions had to flee from town for their very lives. So they left behind them this community. How were they doing? Was it real for them? And now, as we'll, we'll see next week, um, he, he, Paul has been worried about it. He talks about how concerned he was in our passage today. And he's had recent news and he's heard that actually they're doing good, they're doing fine. And he's really thankful because he's heard that God is working among those Thessalonian believers. And he writes to them full of thanks and he kind of reviews what had happened. And he underlines how real it was and it is for them. And he also shows and talks about what makes it real. How do they know it's real? And he encourages them to go on in the same way. Now, how could that help us in our Christian life? Well, how do we know if it's real or not? How do we know what real is? What could we expect real Christianity to look like? Well, we have a window on what it was like at the very beginning here. This book, 1 Thessalonians, is the first book probably written in the whole of the New Testament, written before the Gospels even. And uh, this is uh, written probably about 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, And this is really from the very early days of Christian experience, if you like. And we have a window on that. Is it real for us? Do we recognize our Christian lives in this because this is the real deal. It's a thing, something we can ask ourselves. Uh, do we need to change in some ways as we grow? Could we get back to this kind of reality that the Thessalonians knew back to our roots? Now we've started looking at this letter. We've been learning together. Uh, it's already covered how it got started for them, as we saw in the first time. And then how Paul shared with them what it was like to pass on the good news and to live among them. And we, we learned a lot about how we can live and share the good news last week, as Lou um, uh, led us. And do, you know, if you haven't listened online, do catch up on, on those last two messages. Well, today, Paul goes back to that, that first thing. How was it that they responded And he builds on what he's already said. So let's have a look into the passage and see what it says. On page 1183, I want actually to read a couple of verses in chapter 1, just to give us uh, some kind of background. Chapter 1, verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message, or welcomed the word, that is, in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 9. They themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. And now to verse 13, uh, today's passage. And he's full of thanks in this letter. And so he goes in verse 13. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. 
For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people. The same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy? Or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Now here in this little passage we read about three ways that their Christian lives were seen to be real. And as we look at these three ways, here's the question. Let's ask ourselves. I'm asking myself, am I there? Is that is my Christian life real in that way? The three ways of this, that it's real in the word we receive, real in the struggle we endure, and real in the hope we know. So let's think about those things. Think firstly, is it real? We're thinking all the way through. Number one, real in the word we received. If you could just bear with me, just keep uh, put a finger in 1183 and turn back to Acts chapter 17. Just read a little bit about what had happened because it gives us a... And that's on page... Um, where are we? Page... 1113. Thank you very much. 1113. Just a few verses from verse 2 uh, to verse 4. This is a, what had happened in Thessalonica. Paul had arrived with the others, and he sa- it says, As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So that's what had happened. And it tells us, isn't it, that in those early weeks, Paul talked about Jesus from the scriptures, from the Old Testament scriptures that the Jews had. And as they heard this, some of the Jews, some of the interested Gentiles as well, they knew that God was speaking. they, they, They knew that this was God's word, this was God's message. It kind of touched them in a particular way. And they heard it as God's word, And they treated it like it really was God's word. It mattered. God was saying something to them. It was important. It wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just a a nice talk. But as, as Paul explained from God's word, the Bible, so they said, God, God is speaking to us. And they received this. More than that, going back to 1 Thessalonians 1, in verse 6 we read, so you can go back to 1 Thessalonians 1 now, it tells us that they knew that God was drawing near to them. 
Because it says you receive it with joy in the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just in their heads. We heard in the first week that there was God's word being shared, but God's spirit was doing all kinds of amazing things, proving that the, the truth of the word, because there was the work of the spirit going on in their community. And one of those things was this sense of joy they had as they realized this is God's word and whoa, this is, this is great news and God's saying something to us. It was a, a, a really amazing experience that they had. God was working. And this happens, isn't it? This is real Christianity. God speaks through his word, the Bible, and he, we hear him. He speaks to us as we engage with his word. Or he speaks to us, and he speaks to us through spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit will sometimes give somebody something to say to you, and you have to discern it and weigh it, but God speaks to you. Let me tell you a story. This week, just Thursday, Thursday morning, uh, Peter and David and I, three of us as elders, uh, were praying. Uh, and uh, we finished praying and we talked a bit and uh, I shared something uh, where I was at which I won't go into all the details now and uh, we, uh, then we split up and, and they went to open door and I went to a prayer meeting with some other leaders at, in the Southampton Christian Network in the city and while we were there praying and worshipping one of those other leaders said John I've got something I think God wants to say to you and he gave me a, 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 a kind of he said I think this is what God's saying to you and he said something which was exactly kind of fitting what I'd been talking to David and Peter about, something I'd shared not two hours previously. It was astonishing. I didn't quite know what to do with it, but God spoke through that, the Holy Spirit spoke through that gift of a prophetic word and a, a picture that this brother had as we were praying together. God speaks. And as God speaks, they responded. Sorry, I'm going... I don't quite where I am there. Sorry. Anyway, God was speaking and they were responding. God was working as well. I'll just stick to my notes. You follow those. That'll be fine. So 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 tells us that they, re- they turned to God from idols. They realized there was a true and living God because God was speaking and God was working. And they realized this God was real. They realized that Jesus was the one who came. Jesus the one who was raised. Jesus is the one who's coming back again. And they realized that God invites them and us to step into his rescue. To leave behind our way of living. That way of living that is going to be judged. Because they heard that they needed to come to Jesus to be rescued. Because God is going to come and put everything right. And what's wrong will be dealt with. Including us. If we're wrong. So why we need to get right through Jesus. So that we get rescued from what's coming. That was the message they heard. And they realized as they heard it that everything now hangs around Jesus. That's real. That's what they did. Two chapter, verse, chapter 2 verse 13 says that. You received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as a human word but as it actually is the word of God which is at work in you. Because their lives began to change. The word they heard began to work in them as they leave their old ways of living behind. And Jesus becomes the center of their lives. They serve God, it says, and wait for his son from heaven. They believed and the word worked in them. That's spiritual reality. That's what had happened. 
And Paul said, now I've heard you're doing fine. I know all of that was true. And I know that it was real because that's what you did. Do we know that? Do you know that? Have you responded to God like that lately? Or have you lost it? Do we need to get back to it? Because it's God's word, and if it's true, then everything else we build our lives on is false. They're idols. And we turn from everything our culture says. Everything our culture says is where you find meaning, where you find significance, what really matters. Everything else that isn't, if you like, centered around the living God, who made us to have him at the center of our life, all of that stuff is not worth anything. If this is God's word, if it's true. And that's where the Thessalonians were at. Everything else is dead in that sense. The living God is here and he's speaking. And this living God, if this is true, does things by his spirit in our lives, through us, in us. And as we believe and trust and actively walk in that, so he does things. He's the living God. So is that how our spiritual lives are looking these days? Together as a church, individually. Could anyone seriously accuse me, I'll talk about myself, of serving a God who is true and living? Could anyone raise that accusation? Anyone I know? Is there any evidence? What about you? Any evidence in your life that the God you serve is true and you think he's living? It's a challenge. It's a thought, isn't it? This is the baseline. This is 15 years after Jesus went back to heaven. This is how it was then. These are the original plans. Sometimes it's good to go back to the original plans and check whether what's being built lines up with what was originally planned, isn't it? You know that Chinese whispers game, you know, 50 people. You know, we start something, goes... uh, Anyway, we start with... um, Tom there, and by the time we get back to Steve here, we started something with Tom and back at Steve is something completely different. How do we check what's right? Well, if I start a, a, a phrase going with Tom and it comes down to Steve and it's complete, you know, you say, oh, this is what I said, and Steve tells me something, tells us all something, and we all look confused. How do we know whether it's right or not? We go back to Tom, we say, what was the original thing? That's how we check it. And isn't that wonderful? I think it's wonderful. It's a bit challenging, a little bit scary in some ways. But isn't it wonderful that we can go back to the original thing and say, this is it. And then we can say, 2,000 years of Christianity and Christendom and evangelical Christendom and British cultural Christianity and European stuff and all this other stuff. All, that, all those 2,000 years of, of that you know, is there. But let's go back to what was originally said and say, hey, let's check this for scripture. Let's ask God to bring our experience into line with what he does. What he says in his word. Real in the word we receive. Secondly, it can be real in the struggle. Oh, there we are. Real in the struggle we endure. Verse 14. See in verse 14, the Thessalonians experience real opposition. Chapter 2, verse 14. That's spelt out there. And Paul takes them back to their experience of opposition. And it's probably still going on for them. 
And he said in chapter 1, do you remember Andrew helped? Do you remember one of Andrew's Greek words a couple of weeks ago? was I can't remember the Greek word. Maybe you do, Andrew. I should have looked it out. Imitators. Remember that word, imitators. Um, and uh, it, Paul is back here and he says that you've become imitators again. They imitated Jesus and they imitated Paul and his friends who showed them what, for, what living for Jesus looked like. Now they, he tells them, you're imitating the experience of other Christian communities who are suffering like the Thessalonians were. Just like Jesus did, Paul says here. In the, he said, Jesus himself and the prophets before him experienced suffering. In fact, they killed him. And the Jewish churches in, in Palestine, the Jewish background churches in Palestine at the time were suffering at the hand of the Jews. Clearly, now, now don't, get, don't get this wrong. This is not anti-Semitic. Paul isn't saying, if you read these verses, it looks like, oh, the Jews, they're bad people. They're doing this and they're doing that. And, and you know, they hate everyone and everything. He, 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 that's not what he's saying. And other places in his writing, he says, I, my heart breaks for the Jews. I love them to come to know Jesus. He was a Jew. He was proud of his Jewish heritage. He's not kind of slagging off Jew, the Jews for being Jews. It's not a racial issue. It wasn't just a religious issue, though religion came into it. But at the time, all the Jewish people see Jesus as a false messiah. I mean, Paul himself, who wrote this, actually went around killing or organizing the execution of Christians who believed that Jesus was the Messiah because he was so passionate in his view that Jesus was not the Messiah. And so Paul is saying, look, there's uh, something's going on and there's persecution. You're suffering and there's a reality in the struggle that you're going through. But he also says that there's a bigger issue here. He's saying real life in Jesus can result in suffering because the way people hurt us sometimes as Christians is part of the the general thing in which people are rebelling against God. That's what those verses there, uh, 15 uh, and 16, are about. He talks there about sin being behind the persecution. People hate what, what, what... kind of Jesus challenges them with and takes it out on his followers. That was what was happening then. And it sometimes can happen today too. And Paul tells them that won't be the end of it. He talks about sin mounting up here. He says God's judgment will come upon those who oppose God by persecuting Christians. Verse 16. But persecution and struggle are part of our sinful world and they're part of the way people can hurt other people because they disagree with them or because they don't want what God is saying in their lives. And Paul says in verse 17 that there's a kind of togetherness in the struggle. He talks about his experience. He says, look, I know what it's like. I've been struggling as well. And for him at that moment, you know, he's already he's had to run away from Thessalonica. He's probably uh, in another place. Well, he is in another place. It might be Athens. It might be somewhere else. But he he left Thessalonica because they were wanting to beat him up. Uh, and then the same bunch of people came and uh, tried to beat him up in Berea, the next place he went to. In fact, everywhere this guy went, people used to come and try and beat him up and his followers and the people who followed Jesus because of what they believed. And he's saying, yeah, I know that. I'm in this struggle as well. 
He says at the moment, he says, I feel like a parent who's lost my children. He says, I feel like I've been orphaned from you. He's kind of orphaned in reverse. He talked, remember last week, he talked about he loved them like his own children. He said, oh, yeah, I'm not with you and I'm, I'm heartbroken. I feel like, you know, part of me is missing. That word there is, is, is about being orphaned. He's longing to be with them. He shares that with them. He's tried everything, he says, if you read those verses. Everything he tried to do to come and see them and find out how they are. He said, but Satan has blocked it until there's a breakthrough and they find a way to get the news and there's relief. But that's all next week in the next chapter. So he's saying there's a real battle. Satan is real. Evil is real. Human sin and rebellion lead to suffering. And it leads to suffering Christians. It leads to suffering and broken Christians. It can sometimes even lead to dead Christians. And when that happens, all we can do is hold on. Trust ourselves to God. And remember and embrace the truth as the Thessalonians did, that one day God is going to put it right. He will put it right. And to know that, that sense that it will be put right, kind of, kind of overflowing into our experience, even as we suffer. Is it real? Is that real Christianity? You see, some of us sometimes think that God's powerful work in us kind of results in a kind of force field all around us you know that protects us from you remember the old ready break adverts years ago years and years ago there was an advert on tv if you ate ready break it was like having central it was called central heating for kids that's right funny i should remember that and and you had pictures on tv of these kids going about their business going to school and they'd had ready break and all around them was this kind of glowing kind of thing well Sometimes we think that the power of the Holy Spirit means that we're like that. Nothing can touch us. No suffering for us. Well, that's not true, is it? In fact, suffering often can reveal God's power at work in us because his power is seen in our weakness. And sometimes that power is seen as we come through suffering or we find healing or it comes to an end or sometimes we see that power as he helps us continue when healing doesn't come and when the call is to endure with his power. How real is my Christianity when suffering comes? Real in the struggle we're in. Finally, real in the hope we have. This is verses 19 to 20 of chapter 2. Paul's talking about how he loves the Thessalonians so much. He's honest and open about the frustration at not being able to see them as he thinks about their suffering. Are they okay? Have they all been rounded up by the mob and killed perhaps? It could happen. It sometimes does happen. And his mind and his heart goes somewhere else. Where does it go? Well, it's in the phrase in verse 19. The phrase here, the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. That's where his mind and heart goes. The presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes. 
That last word comes when he comes. That is a big, big word in the New Testament. This is actually the first time this word appears written down. It's the word in Greek, one more Greek word, parousia. It means the appearing. It means the coming. It means the presence of Jesus. That Greek word was used, we'll, do more, we'll think more about this in a couple of weeks' time. This Greek word was used when, when a king, a ruler, came to take up their kind of position of government or leading in a city. They'd come on the outside and everyone would be waiting for and looking for the time when they would, they're appearing, their presence, they're on the way. Or more than on the way, they're right there because they're on their way to be the leader, the governor, the king, or whatever it was. The Old Testament prophets talk about the day of the Lord. You see, Paul's mind goes to that point when the, of the day when the struggle will end. He has in mind that, he has this phrase here, look at this crown in which we will glory. What's that about then? Well, that's a little technical term as well. It refers to the athletes. Uh, when you ran the athletics races in Greece at the time, uh, if you, you won, you, know, the, the, you didn't get medals like the Olympics. You, you got little kind of um, crowns made of orange, olive, not orange, olive branches often, just made into a thing. And the medal ceremony wasn't, you know, put it around your neck. It was put it on your head. I don't know if it's first, second or third or how it worked. I don't know. But Paul says, I'm looking forward to that time. You and me, he says to the Thessalonians, are going to be there with the Lord when he comes, on that day when he comes back. And he says, in knowing that, he says, we have hope, and that means we have joy too. Even now, says Paul, as he's writing, as he's thinking, even now as he's thinking about it, his heart is thinking, oh, he's coming back. This is not the end. Jesus will return. And you know, this truth shaped the Thessalonians' lives. What does it say in chapter 1, verse 10? They uh, turn to God from idols to serve the living, true God, and, verse 10, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the uh, coming wrath. He's saying the Son is worth waiting for. There is an end coming and everything that is against God will we be dealt with finally. And we'll be there with Jesus, says Paul, if we know him. And Paul says, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be full of joy, he says to the Thessalonians, because you're going to be there too. And he says, oh no, I've done my job. He's Paul's kind of thinking about having this crown because God has given him a job to do. God's given him a job to do to tell Jesus to lots of people who aren't Jews. And Paul says, I'm looking forward to getting that crown again because you'll be there and, you know, it's all going to be done. Completed. So here's a question, and is that real, like that, for me, for you? You see, these Jesus followers in the first century were, were, as it were, living ready. Jesus tells us in the Gospels to live ready for his coming. And that's what they're doing. They knew the world was going to come to an end. They knew that Jesus was going to wind things up. Paul had shared that with them when he shared the gospel with them. And that had an effect on their lives. What about us? If this is what it's the blueprint, 
Where is it in our lives? If Jesus is Lord, if God's word is true, then this is what's next for our world. Well, there's other things, but this is the kind of big event. And we don't know how much time there is, a lot less than when this was written 2,000 years ago, that's for sure. But sin will be dealt with finally right across the whole cosmos and Jesus Christ will be Lord. And everyone will acknowledge him as Lord. That's what he said. That's what the Bible said. That's what Paul's message was. That's what the Thessalonians believed and received into their lives. And we can acknowledge and know Jesus as Lord now and begin a new life of love and loyalty to him, or we will face it then with judgment and banishment from God forever. But one way or another, on that day, everyone is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the reality, according to God's word. Are you aware of that? Does it touch our lives in any way? Is it real? For the Thessalonians, it was real. It was real in their hope of Jesus' return. It was real in their welcome of his rule in their lives as he would realize that one day he was going to wind up everything and they were with him now and they'll be with him then. It was real in their suffering together in the battle and struggles. It was real in the way they received the word of God and as the spirit of God worked in their lives through them. All this, it seems to me, points to what real followers of Jesus were like in the Bible. You see, this Christianity stuff, sorry if this is going to shock you, this Christianity isn't some opt-in lifestyle choice you might make. You know, like one magazine against another or is it gardening or is it cooking or is it beauty it's not like that it's not something we just kind of take it or leave with a shrug of the shoulder and carry on in the same old ways now if this is true then this is encountering the loving powerful present holy awesome sovereign true and living, active God. And if that's so, it will touch and transform every part of us. Or it's not real at all. That's the challenge to me. I'm not saying I've got it. Something we can ask God for. Let's come back to that. If you've lost it, if maybe you've left it somewhere along the line of compromises in life of, you know, lust or something else. I don't know why I said that. Perhaps that's something. Or just wasted time or losing direction or focusing on the wrong things. Whatever. If, if you've kind of lost that sense, what do we do? Well, we come back to him. We turn to him. We ask him to unmask those idols. You see, we don't think our culture is idolatrous, but that's because... It's everywhere and we've kind of swallowed it whole mostly. So we ask God, show us what it is we need to turn from as we turn to you, the true and the living God. So we can honor, serve and worship this true and living God expecting his son from heaven. Jesus, 
who rescues us. Is it real? Let's pray for that kind of reality to you know, get for us to get back to that, to grow into it again. If you've never come to know Jesus, ask him. Let's bring these things to the Lord as we respond in worship and continue in praise. Uh,